Book Three, Part Three of Ovid's Metamorphoses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Harrington. Metamorphoses by Publius Ovidius Naso, translated by Brooks Moore. Book Three, Part Three. Narcissus's fate, when known throughout the land and cities of Achaea, added fame deserved to blind Tiresias, mighty seer. Yet Pentheus, bold despiser of the gods, son of Echion, scoffed at all his praise, and, soul of man deriding the great seer, upbraided him his hapless loss of sight. And shaking his white temples, hoar with age, Tiresias of Pentheus prophesied, O oh, glad the day to thee, if, light denied, thine eyes, most fortunate, should not behold the Bacchanalian rites. The day will come, and soon the light will dawn, when Bacchus, born of Semele, shall make his advent known. All hail the new god Bacchus. Either thou must build a temple to this deity, or shalt be torn asunder. Thy remains, throughout the forest scattered, will pollute the wood with sanguinary streams, and thy life-blood bespatter with corrupting blots thy frenzied mother and her sisters twain. And all shall come to pass, as I have told, because thou wilt not honor the new God. And thou shalt wail and marvel at the sight of blind Tiresias, though veiled in night. And as he spoke, lo, Pentheus drove the seer, but all his words, prophetic, were fulfilled, and confirmation followed in his steps. Bacchus at once appears, and all the fields resound with shouts of everybody there. Men, brides, and matrons, and a howling rout, nobles and commons, and the most refined, a motley multitude, resistless born to join those rites of Bacchus there begun. Then Pentheus cries, What madness! O ye brave descendants of the dragon, sons of Mars, what frenzy has confounded you? Can sounds of clanging brass prevail, and pipes and horns and magical delusions, drunkenness and yelling women and obscene displays and hollow drums overcome you, whom the sword nor troops of war nor trumpet could affright? How shall I wonder at these ancient men who, crossing boundless seas from distant Tyre, hither transferred their exiled household gods and founded a new Tyre, but now are shorn and even as captives would be led away without appeal to Mars? And, O young men, of active prime whose vigor equals mine, cast down your ivy scepters, take up arms, Put on your helmets, strip your brows of leaves, be mindful of the mighty stock you are, and let your souls be animated with the spirit of that dauntless dragon which, unaided, slew so many, and at last died to defend his fountain and his lake. So ye may conquer in the hope of fame. He gave the brave to death, but with your arms ye shall expel the worthless and enhance the glory of your land. If fate decree the fall of Thebes, oh, let the engines of war and men pull down its walls, and let the clash of steel and roaring flames resound. Thus, blameless in great misery, our woes would be the theme of lamentations known to story, and our tears would shame us not. 
but now an unarmed boy will conquer Thebes, a lad whom neither weapons, wars, nor steeds delight, whose ringlets reek with myrrh, adorned with chaplets purple and embroidered robes of interwoven gold. Make way for me, and I will soon compel him to confess his father is assumed and all his rights are frauds. If in days gone Acrisius so held this vain god in deserved contempt and shut the Argive gates against his face, why, therefore, should not Pentheus close the gates of Thebes with equal courage? Hence, away, fetch the vile leader of these rioters in chains. Let not my mandate be delayed. Him to restrain his grandsire, Cadmus, strove, and Athamas, and many of his trusted friends united in vain efforts to rebuke his reckless rage, but greater violence was gained from every admonition. His rage increased the more it was restrained, and injury resulted from his friends. So have I seen a stream in open course run gently on its way with pleasant noise, but whensoever logs and rocks detained, it foamed with violence increased against obstruction. Presently returning came his servants, stained with blood, to whom he said, What have ye done with Bacchus? And to him they made reply, Not Bacchus have we seen, but we have taken his attendant lad, the chosen servant of his sacred rites. And they delivered to the noble king a youth, whose hands were lashed behind his back. Then Pentheus, terrible in anger, turned his awful gaze upon the lad, and though he scarce deferred his doom, addressed him thus, Doomed to destruction, thou art soon to give example to my people by thy death. Tell me thy name. What are thy parents called? Where is thy land? And wherefore art thou found attended on these bacchanalian rites? But fearless, he replied, they call my name Acoates, and Myonia is the land from whence I came. My parents were so poor, my father left me neither fruitful fields, tilled by the lusty ox, nor fleecy sheep, nor lowing kine. For he himself was poor, and with his hook and line was wont to catch the leaping fishes landed by his rod. His skill was all his wealth, and when to me he gave his trade, he said, You are the heir of my employment, therefore unto you all that is mine I give. And at his death he left me nothing but the running waves. They are the sum of my inheritance, and after a while that I might not be bound forever to my father's rocky shores, I learned to steer the keel with dexterous hand, and marked with watchful gaze the guiding stars, the watery constellation of the goat, Olenian, and the bear, the Hyades, the Pleiades, the houses of the winds, and every harbor suitable for ships. So chanced it, as I made for Delos, first I veered close to the shores of Chios, there I steered, by plying on the starboard oar, and nimbly leaping, gained the sea-wet strand. Now, when the night was past and lovely dawn appeared, I rose from slumber, and I bade my men to fetch fresh water, and I showed the pathway to the stream. Then did I climb a promontory's height, to learn from there the promise of the winds, which having done, I called the men and sought once more my ship. 
Opheltes, first of my companions, cried, Behold, we come. And thinking he had caught a worthy prize in that unfruitful land, he led a boy, a virgin beauty formed, across the shore. Heavy with wine and sleep, the lad appeared to stagger on his way, with difficulty moving. When I saw the manner of his dress, his countenance and grace, I knew it was not mortal man, and being well assured, I said to them, What deity abideth in that form I cannot say, but tis a god in truth. O whosoever thou art, vouchsafe to us propitious waters, ease our toils, and grant to these thy grace. At this, the one of all my mariners, who was the quickest hand, whoever was the nimblest on the yards, and first to slip the ropes, Dictus exclaimed, Pray not for us, and all approved his words. The golden-haired, the guardian of the prow, Melanthus, Libus, and Alcimedon approved it, and Apopius, who should urge the flagging spirits, and with rhythmic chants give time and measure to the beating oars, and all the others praised their leader's words. So blind is greed of gain. Then I rejoined, Mine is the greatest share in this good ship, which I will not permit to be destroyed, nor injured by this sacred freight. And I opposed them as they came. Then Lycabas, the most audacious of that impious crew, began to rage. He was a criminal who, for a dreadful murder, had been sent in exile from a Tuscan city's gates. Whilst I opposed, he gripped me by the throat and shook me as would cast me in the deep, had I not firmly held a rope half-stunned, and all that wicked crew approved the deed. Then Bacchus, be assured it was the god, as though the noise disturbed his lethargy from wine, and reason had regained its power, at last bespake the men, What deeds are these? What noise assails my ears? What means decoyed my wandering footsteps? Whither do ye lead? Fear not, the steersman said, but tell us fair the haven of your hope, and you shall land where so your heart desires. To Naxos steer, quoth Bacchus, for it is indeed my home, and there the mariner finds welcome cheer. Him to deceive, they pledged themselves, and swore by gods of seas and skies to do his will, and they commanded me to steer that way. The isle of Naxos was upon our right, and when they saw the sails were set that way, they all began to shout at once, what ho, thou madman, what insanity is this, Acoides? Make our passage to the left. And all the while they made their meaning known by artful signs or whispers in my ears. I was amazed and answered, Take the helm. And I refused to execute their will, atrocious, and at once resigned command. Then all began to murmur, and the crew reviled me. Up Ithalion jumped and said, as if our only safety is in you. With this he swaggered up and took command, and leaving Naxos, steered for other shores. Then Bacchus, mocking them, as if but then he had discovered their deceitful ways, looked on the ocean from the rounded stern and seemed to sob as he addressed the men, Ah, oh, mariners, what alien shores are these? Tis not the land you promised, nor the port my heart desires. For what have I deserved this cruel wrong? What honor can accrue if strong men mock a boy, a lonely youth if many should deceive? 
And as he spoke, I also wept to see their wickedness. The impious gang made merry at our tears and lashed the billows with their quickening oars. By Bacchus do I swear to you, and not celestial is more potent. All the things I tell you are as true as they surpass the limit of belief. The ship stood still as if a dry dock held it in the sea. The wandering sailors labored at the oars, and they unfurled the sails in hopes to gain some headway with redoubled energies, but twisting ivy tangled in the oars, and interlacing held them by its weight. And Bacchus, in the midst of all, stood crowned with chaplets of grape leaves, and shook a lance covered with twisted fronds of leafy vines. Around him crouched the visionary forms of tigers, lynxes, and the mottled shapes of panthers. Then the mariners leaped out, possessed by fear or madness. Medon first began to turn a swarthy hue, and fins grew outward from his flattened trunk, and with a curving spine his body bent. Then Lycabas to him, What prodigy is this that I behold? Even as he spoke, his jaws were broadened, and his nose was bent, his hardened skin was covered with bright scales. And Libus, as he tried to pull the oars, could see his own hands shrivel into fins. Another of the crew began to grasp the twisted ropes, but even as he strove to lift his arms, they fastened to his sides. With bending body and a crooked back, he plunged into the waves, and as he swam displayed a tail as crescent as the moon. Now here, now there, they flounce about the ship, they spray her decks with brine, they rise and sink, they rise again, and dive beneath the waves. They seem in sportive dance upon the main. Out from their nostrils they spout sprays of brine, they toss their supple sides. And I alone, of twenty mariners that manned that ship, remained. A cold chill seized my limbs, I was so frightened. But the gracious God now spake me fair. Fear not, and steer for Naxos. And when we landed there, I ministered on smoking altars, Bacchanalian rites. But Pentheus answered him, A parlous tale, and we have listened to the dreary end, hoping our anger might consume its rage. Away with him, hence drag him, hurl him out with dreadful torture into Stygian night. Quickly they seized and dragged Aquaites forth, and cast him in a dungeon triple strong. And while they fixed the instruments of death, kindled the fires, and wrought the cruel irons, the legend says, though no one aided him, the chains were loosened and slipped off his arms. The doors flew open of their own accord. But Pentheus, long persisting in his rage, not caring to command his men to go, himself went forth to Mount Kitheron, where resound with singing and with shrilly note the votaries of Bacchus at their rites. As when with sounding brass the trumpeter alarms of war, the metal charger neighs and scents the battle, so the clamored skies resounding with the dreadful outcries fret the wrath of Pentheus and his rage and flame. About the middle of the mount, with groves around its margin, was a treeless plain where nothing might conceal. Here, as he stood to view the sacred rites with impious eyes, his mother saw him first. She was so wrought with frenzy that she failed to know her son and cast her thyrsus that it wounded him. 
and shouted, Hi, come hither, ho, come hither, my two sisters. A great boar hath strayed into our fields. Come, see me strike and wound him. As he fled from them in fright, the raging multitude rushed after him. And as they gathered round, in cowardice he cried for mercy and condemned himself, confessing he had sinned against the god. And as they wounded him, he called his aunt, Autonoe, have mercy. Let the shade of sad Actaeon move thee to relent. No pity moved her when she heard that name. In a wild frenzy, she forgot her son. While Pentheus was imploring her, she tore his right arm out. Her sister Ino wrenched the other from his trunk. He could not stretch his arms out to his mother, but he cried, Behold me, mother. When Agave saw his bleeding limbs torn, scattered on the ground, she howled and tossed her head and shook her hair that streamed upon the breeze. And when his head was wrenched out from his mangled corpse, she clutched it with her blood-smeared fingers while she shouted, Ho, companions! Victory! The victory is ours! So when the wind strips from a lofty tree its leaves, which touched by autumn's cold are loosely held, they fall not quicker than the wretch's bleeding limbs were torn asunder by their cursed hands. Now, frightened by this terrible event, the women of Ismenus celebrate the new Bacchantian rites, and they revere the sacred altars heaped with frankincense. End of Book 3, Part 3